Great to be in the house of God tonight. How many of you rather be here than in the best fire in California? Amen. Uh, glad each one of you is here tonight. And uh, we are just glad for the good effort you've made to be out here these nights together. I know it's an extra time. And uh, I've lived out here in the Bay Area uh, years ago. I know what the traffic's like. In fact, it's worse now than it's ever been. But I uh, appreciate so much each one of you making an effort just to be in the house of God. I heard about a church that was praying about a piece of property up the street. The church needed a new building. And uh, man, up the street from them was this tavern. Uh, a bar right on a beautiful corner lot. And uh, man, they'd been praying that somehow they could acquire that property. And uh, one night, uh, out of nowhere, the bar caught fire and burned to the ground. I mean, literally burned it to a crisp. Well, they, the pastor went up there, they auctioned the property. He got the property for next to nothing. I mean, got the whole thing. It was wonderful. They started a new building, uh, into a building program, built a beautiful brand new auditorium, getting all ready for dedication Sunday. Little did they know that in that bar, there was a Paul Parrot that lived there. He lived way up in the rafters in the ceiling of the bar. Well. Uh, as they started Dedication Sunday, they didn't realize it, but the parrot escaped from the fire. And when they built their new building in the same spot, sure enough, the pole parrot got inside of their new auditorium. And when they opened up the church, the first service, right up there on the rafter, there's the pole parrot sitting up there. They were singing. They stopped, the singing stopped. The pastor looked up at the pole parrot. He said, what are you doing up there, parrot? The parrot looked down and said, uh, rock, new building, same old crowd. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm glad each one of you is here today, amen? And uh, glad that we didn't come from the bar last night. Say amen to that. And uh, glad we had a whole lot better place to go. We've been in the house of God. Turn your Bibles, please, tonight to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 18. Proverbs, chapter number 18. And thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God. Proverbs, chapter number 18. And I would like to begin reading from verse number 21. And then I'll have you read from another portion of the Bible, from Ephesians chapter 4. But first, I'd like to start with Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 21. Some of you have memorized this, and just for review's sake, you can look at it. But let's quote out loud Proverbs 18, verse number 21. Let's say it out loud. If you have a King James Bible, let's read from that, please. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. If you'll turn over to Ephesians chapter number 4, the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and I would like to begin reading in verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give 
to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and and anger and clamor and next two words say them, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. At approximately 2.45 a.m. on August 6th of 1945, Colonel Tibbetts and his flight crew of 11 men lifted off from Tinian Island in the northern Mariana Islands on their way to Hiroshima, Japan. In their bomb bay was a payload of a bomb that was about eight feet long and 235 pounds in weight, a bomb named Little Boy because of the strange configuration of that weapon. They traveled a good distance and finally somewhere around 8.15 a.m. the bomb doors were open and the plane released its payload and the bomb fell down over the, over the Japanese island and the city of Hiroshima. And eventually when that bomb fell and finally detonated about 580 feet above land, over 100,000 people were killed immediately, eventually adding up to 145,000 casualties as the world officially entered into the nuclear age one of the saddest and most devastating events that ever occurred on planet Earth took place as a 15,000 tons of TNT nuclear bomb exploded on Japan. A few days later, its, qu its twin bomb named Fat Man was dropped over Nagasaki with nearly the same devastating effect. And uh, shortly after that, Japan officially surrendered on September 2nd of 1945, and World War II officially ended. I'm sure there are some in this room who can look back in their own family, in their own heritage, in their own, uh, in their own uh, bloodline, and people that they're related to that were affected by that devastating event. I have no doubt that around this community and where we live right now, that those can look back on grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins who were literally affected by that incredibly devastating event. And now we have many such weapons around the world that are far more explosive and far more devastating than this relatively small nuclear bomb that exploded over Nagasaki and Hiroshima during those sad days. I can tell you that those are great, incredibly powerful weapons, but tonight I want to speak about a weapon that has probably killed and ruined and destroyed more lives throughout the history of mankind, divided nations, literally destroyed homes, divided churches, 
kept people from serving God with their life, a very small weapon, a very small member of our body that God calls the tongue. I want to speak tonight on the subject of the power of the tongue with a subtitle, The Sin of Evil Speaking. The Sin of Evil Speaking. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. Thank you for the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And may tonight the Word of God have free course in our midst. I pray that you'll bless and move and just give us what we need tonight. Thank you for your grace this evening. Will you rest upon us as our prayer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said together, amen. amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for so long. We've been in a series in our church at Granite Baptist for the last few months dealing with the subject of the power of the tongue. We had an evangelist in in the fall, and he and I, as pastor and I do, each day as we made our way down to Sam's today, down to Sam's Chowder, by the way, if you've never been there, you need to go. Say amen right there. And, uh, and, uh, and as we talk about the ministry and things, uh, my evangelist friend casually mentioned to me that the greatest means of grieving the Holy Spirit in our churches is the way that we speak. It spoke to my heart so deeply that I began to go through a series in our church on the power of the tongue. The writer of Proverbs made this simple but very profound statement, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So the admonition there is to be careful what we do with our words. Now here in the book of Ephesians, as the apostle Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, he was writing while incarceration in a Roman jail cell and writing back to Timothy, whom he had left behind in Ephesus to pastor the great church there in that incredibly uh, wonderful uh, Asian city. As he's speaking to the, one of the largest cities of Asia Minor and speaking to them about the great things of God and our heavenly standing and our position in Christ, in chapter 4, he begins to deal with you and I that we're to walk worthy of this vocation wherewith God has called us with all lowliness and humbleness and meekness and all long-suffering and all that goes with that. So Ephesians is a wonderful book of the Bible where God deals with the wealth and the walk and the warfare of a believer. This chapter 4 begins with our walk, how we're to serve God, how we're to glorify Christ in all that we are. And amazingly, uh, a lot of times throughout chapter number 4, he deals with the issue of how we speak. Let's look at Ephesians 4 together very quickly uh, in brief. But I want to go over a few things in chapter 4. Verse number 22, he is assuming that we are saved. He is assuming now that he's writing to believers. And he says that we put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. I preached on this and a lady came to me years ago and said, oh, I got rid of my old man a long time ago and uh, we got divorced. I said, I'm not talking about the, your husband. Uh, the old man, meaning this corrupt nature that we have and even though we're saved, we're still dealing with our twin nature. We're still dealing with the fact that we have this Adamic flesh. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He said we're to put that off, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you'd put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. How many have a desire to walk in newness of life? How many have a desire to put on that new man, not the old man, but by the grace of God, in the same regard that we get up in the morning and put on our work, uh, our clothing or our uniform for work, and put on what we're gonna wear for the day, we are putting on the new man that God has given us in Jesus Christ, and that new man is all about righteousness and the true holiness that ought to be a part of the life of every believer. Then he begins uh, with dealing with how we speak. The first thing he said in verse 25, wherefore putting away what? Let's try it. Verse 25, wherefore putting away what? Lying. The first thing he deals with is this issue of lying and honesty. We live in a very dishonest society. I read last year a poll survey that 90% of Americans and even Christians, very little difference between those who profess Christ, they believe it is right to lie under circumstances, uh, certain circumstances of life. I can tell you this, that we have lost out on honesty in the society in which we live. Young people, God God wants you to be honest. He wants you to tell the truth. He wants you never to tell a lie. Do I have an amen to that? And to learn what it means to be a truthful child of God. I heard about the story of a man was driving up the road, and as he was driving down the street, he looked on the side of the road, and there was a sign right on the side of the road. It said, talking dog for sale. He thought, what in the world? He pulled the car over, went up and knocked on the door. A man answered the door, said, yes, sir. He said, uh, do you have have a talking dog for sale? He said, I sure do. He said, where is he? He said, he's in the backyard. He said, no, he's back there. He said, well, well how, he said, you'll find him. He said, he's a Labrador. You'll see him when you go back. He went back and there's a nice Labrador just standing there. He walked in, closed the gate behind him. He's looking at the Labrador. The Labrador's looking at him and the lab looks up and says, hey, what's going on, bud? How you doing? He said, what? Wait a minute. And he, he looked around for a recording device. He said, no, I'm him. I'm the talking dog. I really do talk. I'm the dog you've been looking for. He said, that's amazing. You're a talking dog. He said, yep, sure am, buddy. He said, yeah. He said, uh, tell me about it. He said, well, he said, uh, I've been talking all my life since I was a little pup. He said, uh, uh, eventually they sent me over to, uh, to the desert storm over there to Iraq. I went in and sniffed out all the bad guys and the bombs and all that. They made me a war hero and I came home. Then they sent me to Afghanistan. I was one of the dogs that went in there and found Osama bin Laden, sniffed him out found him. We brought him home and said, boy, uh, they gave me another medal of honor for being such a great dog. He said, I got wounded a couple times in combat. So uh, eventually they brought me home and worked at the airport. And now I sniff luggage and all that. And uh, I've been doing that the last few years, but now I've finally retired, tired with me and my wife and some pups and all that. We're having a great time here in the backyard. He said, man, that's amazing. So he went back knocked on the door, said, sir. He said, how much do you want for that dog? He said, well, uh, sir, he said, uh, uh, I'll sell that dog for $10. He said, $10? A talking dog for $10? He's a talking dog. He said, yeah, he can talk really good, but he's the biggest liar you've ever met. He's never been out of the backyard. Anyway, uh, you understand that uh, they, they, there's this dog and he's just telling his story. You know, it's always wrong to lie. Some of you will get that joke later. Anyway, uh, it is always uh, wrong to lie in every instance of light. So he deals with the subject of lying. 
He deals with the subject of honesty. Look at verse 26. Be angry, or verse number 25. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He deals with the subject of anger. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What is the way that people express anger in the greatest way? How is it? It's by the words that we say. We get angry one with another. My wife and I years ago made a covenant when we got married that we would not go to bed while we were angry and mad at each other. The Bible says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And we had a conflict and there was something there. You say, Pastor, uh, have you ever had a conflict? Of course I have. How many of you ever had a conflict? I just preached about lying, by the way. How many of you ever, uh, how many of you ever had a conflict? Could I see your hand? Now, let's try this again. Some of you looking at me so spiritually, I'm not believing this. I mean, there's two kinds of people. People who have conflicts and liars, amen? So uh, understand, we all have our issues, and we decided we would never go to bed arguing or upset with one another. And so this is very important, this issue of anger. And then he deals with how we speak to one another. He said to us in verse number uh, 20, uh, 27 and 28, he said, verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor. He's talking about work, working uh, with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that, that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt means literally rotten. How many ever accidentally left some fruit out on the table or you left it in a bowl, you went on vacation and forgot that you had a few peaches there and you came home and now uh, the, the, you know, the fruits got overripe and you see those little flies around it and all that. Uh, that's not edible. It's not very good. You have to throw it away. And the picture here is this rotten fruit that is growing in our mouth and coming out this corrupt communication, murmuring, complaining, backbiting, all that goes with it, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now we get to our text. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. This is loud, noisy, meaningless communication. Be put away from you with all malice. And he said, after clamor, he said, evil speaking. This issue of evil speaking. Do you understand throughout the Bible that evil speaking is mentioned fairly often? In the Old Testament, we find it where uh, with Joseph in chapter 37, verse 2, he brought uh, an evil report. Numbers chapter 13, verse 32, those people died in the wilderness. They were sent over to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and they came back in Numbers 13, verse 32, and they brought up an evil report. They said, it's a good land. It flowed with milk and honey, but we saw giants there, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight, and they saw all these great giants, and they became little tiny grasshoppers and gave an evil report. I remember as kids, we used to watch the Kung Fu, and we thought that was a great movie, and that was the one where the little kid was bald, would sit in front of the master, and he would say, grasshopper, snatch the bubble from my hand, and uh, it was a, a you know, pretty cool little show, and uh, whenever he got beat up when he was older, he'd have flashbacks and go back to the day when he was a little kid and go back to the master again, then he'd snap out of it and beat up on 15 guys 
eyes and, and then, then walk away very humbly, walk down the street again. And uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. But the, this idea of being the grasshopper, being a little tiny insignificant person, and they brought this evil report and they murmured and complained all night long. And as a result, an entire generation of people died in the wilderness because of this evil speaking. If you study the Bible, you're going to find that evil speaking consists really of negative words uh, either to others or about others uh, around us to those within our range of speech. And understand the fact, number six, verse number 12, the Bible said, Salon and, and, to, and to buy it, they hired an evil reporter against Nehemiah, the man of God, and nearly caused the work of God to fail. Why? Because of evil speaking. I wrote down some things about evil speaking. You understand evil evil speaking hurts. It hurts those around us. The Bible says words are as wounds going down to the inmost part of the belly. How many of you ever been wounded by something that someone said, uh, particularly someone you love or cared about, and they wounded you with their words? So evil speaking hurts. Evil speaking hinders. He said, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. And he Evil speaking helps where he said, neither give place to the devil. When we speak evil, we are literally involved in Satan's work on planet earth instead of speaking graciously and speaking in the work of God. Now, if you study your Bible, I wrote down four or five things about evil speaking, and I'll make an application in just a moment. Number one, evil speaking violates, violates the word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. 1 Corinthians 15 through 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And you're going to violate scripture whenever uh, you're involved in evil speaking. Evil speaking destroys unity and trust. Proverbs 6, 19, God says, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, on and on. And God ends that uh, sixth of those seven things with he that soweth discord among brethren. You know, God hates discord, say amen. God hates murmuring, complaining. He hates gossip and backbiting. And God talks about uh, the words of a talebearer as wounds. And God wants to be very careful how we speak to and about those around us. Evil speaking frustrates our prayer lives. Jesus said in Mark, 6, Mark 11, 25, when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. And if we don't forgive from our heart and we continue to speak wrongly and negatively, uh, God is not going to hear our prayers. Verse 27 of Ephesians 4, evil speaking gives place to the devil. Now you understand what he's talking about. He's talking about giving a place for the devil to operate. Now we're sitting here tonight 
in a wonderful local church. We're seated in a place that God is moving and working and blessing. And we're seated in a place that is celebrating 20 years of the goodness of God. And not every church has the blessing of God like Heritage Baptist Church does. Do I have an amen? Not every church has a wonderful congregation and a wonderful spirit-filled pastor who preaches the word of God and great people to serve and give of themselves. Not every church has the blessing of an incredible choir that sings out for the glory of God and even smiles while they sing. Say amen right there. But I'm saying to you, if we're not careful, we give place. You know what that means? Here you go. Now, if I were to tell you tonight, all right, ladies and gentlemen, Satan is coming into the church service tonight. Is anybody here would say, okay, great. I'll give him a place right next to me. How many say, well, come right here. There he is, special guest, the devil himself. Sit right here uh, next to me. Here, sit next to my children. Have a nice place. Uh, hi, what's your name? The devil. Amen. Imagine tonight uh, saying, I'd like Satan to sit right next to me. Anybody who want that? Anybody who accept that invitation? I don't want the devil sitting next to me or to my wife or my children. Do I have an amen? amen. But when we start murmuring and whispering, and tail-bearing, tail, uh, and especially complaining. It's so hot in here tonight. Man, it was so cold in here last night. I thought that guy'd never stop preaching. He had four endings. He reminded me of the Apostle Paul. He said, finally, nine times. And, and man, it's never good enough. Do I have an Amen. And you understand, if you're going to complain and you're going to live your life with the glass half empty, you'll never find the goodness of God in your life. But it's not just you that you're affecting. When you sit down in a church pew and start murmuring, complaining, and you sit down here and start texting bad things, you're giving a perfect little spot for the devil to sit right down next to you, take up residence, and destroy the things that God wants to do in your life, in your family, and in your church. How many want the devil setting up in your living room tonight? How many want the enemy to just come along like a flood? How do you want, you want the thief to steal, to kill, to destroy? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to announce tonight, there's a thief coming into every one of your houses at 12 o'clock. He's going to steal your car out of the driveway. He's going to steal your things and uh, your possessions. He's going to steal your bike out of the backyard. If you knew that, you'd get ready for it to have an amen. Amen. But if we're not careful, so many of God's people, we're giving place to the devil by our words. Is this true or false? I'm telling you the truth. The very word slanderer is found in your Bible, the accuser. The word means the diabolo, the devil. And understand that old accuser, the devil, has been accusing God's people day and night before the throne of God, accusing them to one another, accusing them to their own heart, uh, bringing guilt and bondage and frustration. And God wants us to put an end to it and snip off this nasty little member that's killing us. And God wants to realize how bad our words are can really affect others. I need some help. Amen. All right, you can say amen. That you can say in church. And I say to you tonight, evil speaking. Man, the, the more conservative we are, the more against everything we are, if we're not careful, we can be super critical. We can complain. We can congratulate ourselves before being, man, I'm against everything. Do I have an amen? 
And one of our church members said, Pastor, are you against a stop right there? Yes. Amen. <laughs> I'm against all of it. <laughs> I don't smoke, drink, and chew, and I don't go with them that do. Amen. I mean, I'm against uh, somebody said, can you, can you smoke cigarettes and get to heaven? You certainly can, but he'll smell like you went to that other place. Amen. Somebody said, can you chew tobacco and go to heaven? Yes, but you've got to go to hell to spit it out. But I'm saying to you, I'm against all of it. But that doesn't give me license to be holier than thou and to criticize everybody who doesn't dot every I and cross every T. You say, well, what about last night? That's different. We're talking about the things of God and abominable things that are coming in the house of God and somebody needs to preach against them. Do I have an amen? But if I see a new believer that's struggling with some things, and uh, we've had people in our church who got saved out of a life of sin, and uh, we've had people that come in with tattoos and wild and crazy hair. We had a lady that come, got saved uh, a few years ago, and every week she had a different color hair. I said, hey, how you doing there, Nancy? What color is it this week? She said, how do you like it? It's purple. I mean, it just looked wild. I said, great, Baltimore Ravens, amen to that. But I'm saying to you that uh, we're not to be critical of people on every little thing. We have to be afraid uh, and, and worried and concerned lest our words should allow the devil to enter in. And of course, evil speaking grieves the Holy Spirit. He said, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Imagine when we get to heaven and we're at the judgment seat of Christ, and we're all getting our rewards, and, our, and we're suffering loss, and all that goes along with it, and God says, you didn't know it, but you grieved me so many times by the way you spoke. You grieved me so many times by the way you murmured and complained and criticized and condemned. You grieved me so many times by uh, not responding properly to life's trials. How many of you believe this? We're all going to have trials. Do I have any men? We're all going to have heartache. We're all going to have, and those are tests that God sends our way. And out of our heart proceed all these negative things. If we're not careful, we're going to grieve the Holy Ghost. Now, the question is, how are we going to have victory over evil speaking? We live in a generation where it's commonplace. We have a president now who is used to using profanity right on the television set. I'm not okay with that. I believe that's a dignified office, and a president should never uh, use profanity. Amen to that? And pol political leaders, all of them, governor, government officials and politicians, they should never slander one another and call names and do uh, lower themselves to the place where things have gotten today, but you and I can rise above that. We don't have to get into the fray of using bad speech. We must have sound speech that cannot be condemned and by the grace of God live in such a way that our lives are not pouring out death because death and life are in the power of the tongue. How many want to choose life? Can I see your hand? You want life-giving words to proceed out of your mouth. If we can't say anything good, what's a good idea? Help me. If we can't say anything good, help me. Don't say anything at all. God said, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know why God gave us two ears and one mouth? He wants to listen twice as much as we speak. But we live in a generation where we're clamoring and get to be the next one who can uh, put our two cents worth in. And I wrote down some things of how you, got, you and I can have victory against evil speaking. 
I'd say one way is to quit watching TV. <laughs> Amen. That's just a side note. I mean, Brother, it's hard to watch much on the television set. It's always uh, negative to have an amen. But, but I want to give you some ways of how to have victory over evil speech. Number one, recognize evil speaking for what it is. Recognize it. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And we could add gossip and slander and murmuring and complaining and all that goes with it. These are evil things. These are not good things. These are hurtful and damaging things. I've met doctors who have told me that some people, the reason they're sick is because they have so much negativeness in their life and all they do is speak about negative things and have literally given them prescriptions to start learning how to think properly for the glory of God. But understand, we need to recognize evil speaking for what it is. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, help me finish this, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaketh. So we are a personification of our thought life. We are a characterization, if you will, of what's going on on the inside, and it's time to recognize it for where it comes from. I've had people say, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how that even came out. I don't know what I'm, what was I thinking? I don't know where that came from. I know where it came from. It came from the heart. Do I have an amen? It was a young man sitting there for marriage counseling. And he and his wife were sitting together across from the counselor, and the wife was crying and said, she told my mother, he told my mother at Thanksgiving that my mom was mean, ugly, and rude, and that my mom was the cause of all of our problems. And I, I've been so upset about it. The counselor said, what were you thinking, sir? How, what were you thinking when you said that? He, he said, I don't know. I meant to say pass the butter. But anyway, it just came out. I mean, out came all this bad list of stuff. And if we're not careful, we must learn that uh, we, we need to recognize evil speaking for what it is. Number two, we need to renounce, renounce evil speaking. Listen to what God said. Let all corrupt let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. He said in verse 20, number 25, we're to put away lying. It means to renounce it. It means to get rid of it. It means by the grace of God, I will no longer speak this way. How many you grew up and out of church? I did. I lived an ungodly lifestyle. Profanity was a part of my life. And uh, I mean, uh, and I think profanity is, such a, uh, profanity is such an indicator of intellectual deficiency. Amen? When people use profanity, they're showing how intellectually deprived they really are. And I used profanity regularly as a young man and used it all the time to be cool and to fit in and dropped all kinds of horrible language whenever I could. When I got saved by the grace of God, I'll never forget when uh, we were working and I, I mashed my finger with a hammer and out of my mouth came an expletive 
that had no business in the heart and mind of a child of God and asked the man worth working with me, I said, please forgive me. I had no business even talking that way. I went around the corner and asked God to forgive me. I said, God, please, please help me to stop speaking this way. You know, if you have a burden for it and you have a desire for it, you can get your heart and mind cleaned up before God. And I can tell you, during the next few weeks and months of my life, God began to take my nasty little mouth and help me to speak properly and biblically and godly and the words that were edifying to the heart of God. Renounce evil speaking. Put it out of your life. We're to renounce it. We're to recognize it. We're to replace evil speaking. Listen to the replacements, if you will. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, look at this, verse number 31, be put away from you with all malice. How many of you had trouble cursing at one point in your life? Could I see your hands? Anybody like that? And do you understand? If, if you've had that problem, you're gonna have to put that away. And that does mean you're gonna have to be more selective in what you watch on the TV, more selective and careful what you allow to come into your mind and heart through the news. Why? Because the Bible said in Philippians 4, 8, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things to put righteousness into our heart and to learn how to restore and replace, rather, this evil speaking. And here's what he said, put away these bad things, verse 32, and be ye what? Verse 32, help me, please. Be ye what? kind one to another. Next word, tenderhearted. Next, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Boy, those are foreign concepts to me. I grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, you had to be tough and fight. You had to work your way through. And I was one of those little guys, and little guys are always like chihuahuas, amen? I mean, they bark a lot. The little guy I can always prove, prove how tough he is. And, I, and uh, so I had to make sure everybody knew nobody was going to mess around with me. Boy, you know, I was going to be a tough guy, a uh, little chihuahua or a little uh, Maltese or whatever. German shepherds, they just walk by. They don't have any problems. And I was that way. And I had to start learning. Tenderhearted is not being weak. It's being, being and meekness is not weak. Do I have an Amen. Meekness is walking in the strength of God, the humility of the Holy Spirit, and learning for God to have His way in and through us and being a blessing to other people. I've always wondered what in the world is the big attraction to the Hallmark Channel. I don't know if any women here walk, watch Hallmark Channel movies, but uh, my wife and daughter started watching these things at Christmas time. And so the plot is always exactly the same. Anybody ever watch the Hallmark Channel? And, uh, the plot is identical. Young lady comes home for Christmas time, going to help mom and dad. Dad's been sick, going to help with the business. She's a jet setter coming in from Wall Street. And, uh, so she gets off the plane and uh, gets out of the cab and trips over some guy who's walking by 
or strolling by on his bicycle, and oh, it's her old high school boyfriend. Hi, Joey. And there he is with his flannel shirt and jeans. Hi. Or some budding artist or whatever, and uh, they, they run in each other. She goes home, and uh, sure enough, they reconnect and start talking together. But uh, really, there's a whole nother guy coming in from Wall Street, and he's the fast jet setter, and that's her fiance. He's always the bad guy because he has money. Say amen to that. He's always a bad guy because he's rich and he's mean and selfish and she ditches him and finally she gives it all up and they start a cookie shop together with this guy and they're always drinking. I mean, it's the same plot every time. The same players. I, I always, in the, within the first five minutes, there, there's the guy. That's the one she's going to marry. And there's the poor guy she's going to ditch. He's way too rich. Amen and get rid of him. He's way too successful. And at the end of the whole thing, <laughs> she ends up marrying this budding artist. And they said, so what are we going to live on? Oh, I didn't tell you. I'm a millionaire. And so they, they, everything works out just right on the Hallmark Channel. And I told Susan, I don't know what the attraction here is. Well, I know what it is. Everybody on the Hallmark Channel is nice. Hi, hi. They always have a coffee cup with latte in it. They're always sitting around eating a cookie or a muffin. Would you like a muffin? Give me a muffin. Their houses are perfectly decorated. You ever notice this? All beautiful craftsman homes, uh, million-dollar homes, but they're all people with no money, but somehow they have this home, and it's the Hallmark dream. And, of course, it's always very romantic. And this guy's going to quote poetry, and he's going to sing to her, and he's going to be this romantic guy who doesn't have a dime to his name, but he's really romantic, and that's the one she's going to marry everybody's nice. Everybody's kind. Everybody, it's a little bubble that people are looking for. I believe people come to a church and they really want us to be kind to them. Do I have an amen? People come to church, they don't want to hear about how bad another church member is. You say, we would never do that. No, you wait for about a month and then when they're members and you finally get out to lunch together, then you unload on them. Amen to that? And so you understand, is everybody okay? And you understand people don't want to come to the house of God and hear about how bad other people are or how mean the pastor is or how uh, bad some other deacon is in the church. They want to hear about good things and they want to hear the goodness of God. And we can be kind. Do I have an amen? Bad people say, I just can't control myself. Sure you can. I've, I've gone up to people's homes and uh, walked up to knock on the door, and I'd hear them in the back uh, screaming, carrying on. You know, I better not, not, well, I'll knock on the door. And, well, just wait a minute, I'll get the door. Hold on, it's the pastor. Hi, pastor. <laughs> just telling my wife how much I love her. Amen. And you can, why? Because anger is controllable. Do I have an amen? amen. It is controllable. And you can control yourself. And you can say, by the grace of God, I'm putting this under the cross of Christ. And no, uh, <clears throat> this is a frustrating situation. And it's something that is testing and trying us. We don't have to react. And so we must replace it with kindness, tenderhearted. And then he said, forgiving one another. Well, why would, would we have to forgive people? Because people offend us. Amen? People hurt us, whether real or, uh, whether, or supposed or whether intentional or unintentional. People hurt us. They walk by and don't say hi, and we get our feelings hurt. And rather than get angry and bitter and start to share that with somebody else, God wants to be kind, tender, forgiving one another. And I love this, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And then there's 
restoring evil speak, e- the evil speaking, putting that aside and learning how to speak p- biblically and properly for the glory of God. I wrote down four simple covenants that I asked our church to enter into. And frankly, when we started into this, it's gotten worse. It hasn't gotten better because these habits don't die easily. They die hard. But I wrote down four simple covenants that I wanted our church to be involved in, and I called them to this covenant, and they entered into it about the way they speak, about the words that we speak. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I want to give you these simple covenants. Number one, to speak guarded words. Guarded words. Psalm 141.3, set a watch upon my mouth. Keep thou the door of my lips. You know what David was saying? He was saying, I know potentially I could say bad things. I'm praying that God would put armed guards in front of my lips. Some of us might need a whole battalion. Amen to that? I mean, (laughs) just depending on where we came from and what we did, we're all different. Some of you grew up in a kind, gracious home. If you did, you ought to get on your knees and thank God for that regularly. Say amen to that. And others came from fighting and contention and all that goes with it. And so let's have guarded speech. Let's be careful that if if we don't need to say it, let's hold off. Let's put it aside. Guard it. Number two, I encourage our church to start speaking gracious words. And he said to us in verse number, verse number 29, he said, that which is good, the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always with grace, season with salt. Pastor and I have been to some incredible meals together in the last few days. We went out to Sam's Chowder today. It was amazing. Uh, if you've never been to Sam's, you should go to Sam's and uh, save your money, your pennies, and just go uh, out of Half Moon Bay. Have you ever been to Sam's Chowder? Anybody? And uh, up in the Northeast, we call it Sam's Chowder. Chowder, not chowder. And boy, what a great place. But even there, pull out the salt. Put some salt in Black pepper, yes, please, and lots of black, uh, and pepper, salt, all that. We season it. And our words, they need to be tempered. Our words need to be seasoned. Do I have an amen? Amen. And when we come into the house, we've been working all day, uh, barking out orders, telling people what to do. Let's not walk into the house and bark orders. Let's walk into the house and be kind gracious, godly. And the Bible makes it very clear when they spoke of Christ in Luke 4, verse 22, all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And they noticed how gracious the Lord Jesus Christ truly was. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A timely word may level stress, but a loving word may heal and bless. Which one of those you want to be? You want to be loving, gracious, guided words, guided words. David said in Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength, 
my Redeemer. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be what? Help me, filled with the Spirit. And people who drink, they just open their mouth and you don't know what's going to come out. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they uh, are going to give out gracious and godly words for the glory of God, guided words, and finally tonight, gospel words. Words that lift up Christ everywhere we go, that lost and dying people might hear the Word of God Amen. with their life. I preached in a revival and a number of years ago, and I'll never forget when I got off the plane, a man picked me up whose name was Carl. It was up in Plymouth, Massachusetts, way up in the Northeast. Carl was one of the nicest guys I ever met. He picked me up. The pastor told me he would meet me. He couldn't be there. And he was standing at the, when I got off the plane, remember he used to be able to meet people at the gate, uh, Lou Rossi. And I got off and I said, hey, how you doing? He says, hi there, my name's Cal. I said, good to meet you, Cal. He said, no, it's Cal. I said, oh, hi, Cal. And I said, uh, I said, he said, no, it's Cal. I said, hi, Cal. I thought his name was Cal. And he said, Cal. I said, spell it, C-A-R-L. Oh, Carl. No, Cal, I'm up here in the Northeast. He's up in New England, hot dog, all that kind of stuff. Uh, got that real thick New England accent. And he said, well, brother, so glad you're here. Let me take you out. And uh, he said, uh, he starts telling me his life story a little bit. He said, uh, you know, he said he was a bachelor, never been married. And he said, my life, I love the greatest joy of my life when preachers come in. And he said, uh, I take care of them. I host them. He said, I'll just tell you right now, brother, I'm rich. And he said, I got a lot of money, and I'll get you anything you want while you're here. I said, man, praise God. This is, this is getting good. We're going to have a great meeting in this place. It was a Saturday evening. He said, I'll take you out. What do you like to eat, brother? I said, I, I like anything. I'm fine. I'll take you to a nice place. He took me down to Boston uh, on the Boston Harbor, beautiful restaurant. He said, do you like lobster? I said, I don't know. I've never really had a lobster. He said, well, let me get you one. And he gets me a big lobster. Man, I ate that lobster. That thing was amazing. You know? And we just had a time. And I thought, this is incredible. Well, Carl said, okay, I'm going to take you over to the house. And he said, you can't stay with me. He had a young man that he had taken in as a foster son, and he was coming to stay with him. He said, I have to take you to another house. He drove me over to these people's house, and we knocked on the door. They opened the door, and when we walked in, they were sitting with their back to me. They had on some TV show, one of these Jerry Springer talk shows or something with people yelling at each other. And uh, I walked in. They said, all right. Had, uh, the rooms down the hallway down on your left. They didn't even turn around. They just were in there. I noticed right away they were both smoking. So I walked in and put my stuff in and Carl said, I'll pick you up in the morning, brother. I'll see you. See you in the morning. So he, Carl, took off. I went back out. Hey, they were sitting there drinking their monster cup, drink big gulps, you know, from uh, with potato chips and stuff. Both of them were not exactly the, uh, never mind. But anyway, they, they, <laughs> They'd eaten a lot of potato chips, amen? And so they said, okay, brother. said, if you didn't notice, uh, guess you, if you didn't notice, we both smoke. I said, yeah, I kind of noticed that. I said, okay, I hope that doesn't bother you. If it does, you'll have to go in your room. I said, okay, thank you, and I appreciate that hospitality. And uh, they didn't even talk to me. Finally, one of them said, well, did Carl bring you? I said, yeah, Carl brought me. They said, oh, great. I guess Carl took you to a fancy restaurant, didn't he? 
I said, man, he sure did. Did Carl tell you that he's rich? I said, yeah, he actually did. And I said, yeah, Carl, big shot Carl. They started running Carl up one side and down the other. He said, Carl's a big shot. He's a deacon in the church. Did he tell you that he's leaving Tuesday? I said, no. Yeah, he's going to a roller coaster convention. He was a writer for roller coasters, and he was taking his foster son. He said, yeah, what a big shot. He's not going to be here for the revival. I said, that's really a shame. I said, well, folks, what would happen if God changed his heart? That ain't going to happen. I said, well, what if he did change his heart? They said, well, that would be great. I said, okay, I'm going to start praying that Carl stays here and that he stays for the revival. They said, okay. I said, now, if Carl doesn't stay for the revival, I'm going to take you two out to dinner on Tuesday night. Okay, great. They were excited about that. I said, if Carl stays and cancels his trip, I want you to do one thing. They said, what? I said, apologize to Carl for the way you speak about him. Okay. I said, publicly before the whole church. It's a deal. Well, he picked me up the next day, took me out with the pastor after church. We got a nice meal together. And uh, he said, isn't Carl wonderful? I said, man, he is. He's great. Gracious host. Picked me up, took me out Sunday night. Sunday night on the way back over to, you know, the Lake of Fire where I was staying in their home. It was awful. They, they just complained, murmured about everything. And uh, I remember on the way over, back over to where I was staying, back to purgatory where I was paying for the price for all of my sins. And I, uh, on the way back, uh, Carl said, well, brother, I got to tell you something. I said, what is it, Carl? I said, I got to leave town Tuesday. I'm going to a roller coaster convention. I said, okay. He said, man, I hate to tell you. I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. He said, tomorrow I'm picking you up on Monday. I'm going to take you out and buy you some shoes. You want some shoes? I said, sure, I'll buy some shoes. He took me out, bought me these fancy shoes. The nicest man you ever met in your life. And he was so worried about his roller coaster. He said, I already got the tickets. I messed up. He was so upset about it. And I didn't say a word to him. I promised them I wouldn't try to coax him either way. And I prayed for Carl. For Carl. And Monday night, he said goodbye to me. He hugged me. He said, thank you, brother. Great revival meeting. Thank you for coming. He said, I sure wish I could stay. I said, God bless you, brother. And as uh, far as I knew, he was leaving the next morning. That night at church, we were sitting there. Service was starting. It was a small auditorium. It was about 7.05. I looked over. They looked over at me and kind of <laughs> looked at me like, this is going to be great. Can't wait to go out to eat. And the, I could feel the door open in the back. It was very cold out. You could hear a little, feel a little wind come in. And I turned around, and it was Carl. He walked in. He was weeping. I could see it. I went up on the platform and sat with the pastor. And uh, just then, I, I watched Carl walk up on the platform. And while during the song service, I saw him talking to the pastor, and the pastor shook his head yes. Carl came up and said, I've asked the pastor if I can make a testimony. He said, folks, he said, I, I want everybody to forgive me. He said, I've been unfaithful as a deacon. He said, in fact, I miss all the meetings. I'm not here. I treat myself like I'm a big shot, like I have privileges that other people don't have. He said, please forgive me, folks. He said, I am so sorry. He said, in fact, I resign. I'm not qualified to be a deacon in the church. He said, I'm going to make this right. Well, the pastor came up, said, we forgive you, Carl. He said, folks, how about if we forgive Carl? Amen. Everybody forgave me. He said, don't resign. We love you. You just hang in there. What a great guy. He sat down. People were all excited. And I, 
I finally just came up to the platform. I said, there's somebody else here who has something they want to say. <laughs> and, uh, man, y you could have shot those two. I said, we have, we have a few people here who want to say a word. They walked up, and, of course, the guy started to come in the front. Of course, this woman, of course, was very domineering. He said, get out. I'm going first. They fought about it right there. And she said, I want to say, Carl, Cal, I want to say that I'm sorry. She said, I have spoken about you. I have slandered you. She said, I've gossiped about you to the whole church. And then she got real honest. She said, Pastor, I've gossiped about you. And she said, this one over here, and I've slandered you, and I've been complaining about this and that. And she got honest and started weeping and said, please forgive me to the church. Her husband came up, and they both stood there just weeping and blubbering. They couldn't, they couldn't compose themselves. He said, it's not just her. He said, I'm a lot worse. He said, Carl, I've been jealous because you have a good job. I've been jealous because you have money and you look so nice and always dress nice and all the preachers like you because you take them out to eat. And went on and on about it. He said, Pastor, please forgive me. You know what happened that night? Other people stood up. Other people got right. And heaven came down our souls to meet. And an old-fashioned revival broke out. And people got saved in that church for the first time in years. Saved, baptized. We extended the meeting out a whole nother week and God came in. I mean, you couldn't get in the building. People coming out because they heard people down there at that little church, instead of backbiting and murmuring and complaining, were getting right with God and with one another. And they gave up and threw out the sin of evil speaking. I wonder tonight how many of us would say by the grace of God, I want my words to be guarded. I want my words to be gracious. I want my words, not just to my friends, but to my wife and to my children and to my husband and to the people in my family. I want my words to be guided and I want my words to be gospel, to speak of Christ everywhere I go and let lost people know how to get saved. You know, revival can happen right here it can happen right now. It can happen in this place as we desire and make in covenants that our tongue, the power of our tongue will be used for giving life and glorifying God.